Let's turn in our Bibles to Psalm 1. Psalm 1. I want to thank Pastor for the opportunity to preach. He's not here. He might be watching. I don't know. But I do appreciate the opportunity. It is a blessing to be able to fill the pulpit this evening and to preach from God's Word. I was reading Psalm 1 recently in my devotions and uh, really just encouraged by the the content uh, of the psalm. And I began to ponder the thoughts and uh, the more I thought about it, I thought, you know, I want to preach this text. This is just a a very meaningful text and a, a powerful text. And so I'm excited about that this evening. So let's begin the reading, Psalm 1 and verse 1. It says, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind driveth away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. Let's look at verse 6 one more time. It says, For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. So the psalmist is laying out two different paths, two different ways, the way of the righteous and the way of the ungodly. If you drive up I-26 and you hop on I-40, eventually you're going to see a sign that says you're passing over the Eastern Continental Divide. Have you ever seen that sign before, the Eastern Continental Divide? So theoretically, if there were two raindrops that landed on the Eastern Continental Divide... Uh, One raindrop, the one that lands on the eastern side of that sign, would flow all the way to the Atlantic Ocean. And the one that lands on the western side of that sign would flow all the way to the Gulf of Mexico. That's the theoretical idea. I recognize they're probably going to soak in right there. But the concept is that water on the eastern side flows to the Atlantic Ocean and water on the western side flows to the Gulf of Mexico. So it's called the Eastern Continental Divide. It kind of runs up the eastern side of the states. In fact, there's multiple continental divides all throughout North America. As you look around, you can see those different places, the the peak, the ridge, where the water flows in those two directions. So think about those two raindrops and our theoretical illustration. If those two raindrops came down, they might land inches from each other, but they're going to take two different paths, and eventually they're going to end in two different destinations. And I really feel like that's what's being portrayed here in Psalm 1. There's two characters. They're going to take two different paths, and they're going to end in two different destinations. And that's portrayed specifically in verse 6. The Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. Two different characters, two different paths, two different destinations. So I'd like to title the message, The Spiritual Continental Divide. The Spiritual Continental Divide. I know that's kind of a laborious title, uh, but if you think about that title, I think it will help us understand Psalm 1, uh, because we recognize that's what's being portrayed in this psalm, that there are these two individuals, the ungodly and the righteous, and we see their past, and we see what they're doing, and then we see where they end up. So we're going to work our way through this psalm, and and we're going to realize that the way of the righteous will end up in blessing, whereas the way of the ungodly will end up. And judgment. 
Uh, so let's first look at a contrast of their ways. A contrast of their ways. And that word way, again, is coming from verse 6. The, the way of the righteous and the way of the ungodly. So first of all, let's look at a contrast of their ways. And under that, let's first see the way of the righteous. The way of the righteous. That begins, obviously, in verse 1. It says, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seats of the scornful. So we're looking at the way of the righteous. This is the first character. And what kind of path does the way of the righteous follow? Well, the way of the righteous is going to end up in blessing, but how does he get to that point? How does the way of the righteous eventually result in blessing? Well, verse 1 is talking about how he does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly. Now, that means he is not uh, listening to fools. It says that he does not stand in the way of sinners. That means he's not spending time with, with open sinners. And then it says he's not sitting in the seat of the scornful. I think we know what ungodly people are like. I think we know what sinners are like. But the word scornful is kind of a unique word. We don't really use that word very often. The word scornful, it has the idea of scoffing or, or mocking. And so apparently there was a, a group of people that would just kind of sit together and scoff and mock at the righteous. And it even has the idea of teaching others. And you might think that doesn't seem like that would fit with scoffing and mocking. But it does because they're mocking and scoffing people and they're teaching others that righteous living is not the way to go. And so they're mocking righteous living and they're teaching people, don't live the way of the righteous. That's not the way to go. And so we're looking at the way of the righteous here. And there's, in the way of the righteous, they would not be sitting with those kinds of people. They would not sit amongst the scornful. They would not stand amongst the sinners. They would not walk in the counsel of the ungodly. And so the way of the righteous, if we want to end up in blessing, then we cannot be listening to fools. We cannot be spending time with sinners. We cannot be sitting amongst those who are mocking godliness. Now, a little footnote under the thought about sitting with sinners. Jesus did spend time with sinners, but the purpose was to be a light to them, not to learn from them. And so Jesus was not sitting with sinners for the purpose of, of trying to uh, be their friend, to be like them. And we must learn that difference, that there is a, a place to be a light to sinners, but we can't be sitting amongst them for the purpose of gleaning from them and becoming like them. And so if you see in verse 1 already the, the way of the righteous, this makes sense. If you're not spending time with ungodly people and with sinners and with those who are mocking godliness, then we're already well on our way to a life of blessing. And so we see this, this way of the righteous continuing in, in verse 2. We see in verse 2 it says, But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. And so we see that the way of the righteous is, is somebody who is pleased by the word of God. They are delighting in the word of God. I really feel like that's the key part of the righteous living. They are delighting in the law of the Lord. His delight, verse 2 says, his delight is in the law of the Lord. The word delight literally means to be pleased with, to be pleased with. So imagine this righteous person, they are delighting in the law of the Lord. The law specifically referring to the Mosaic law, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. This righteous person loves the law. They spend time in the law. And they're delighting in it. They're pleased with it. 
I was reading this morning in uh, Deuteronomy chapter 17, and I've really enjoyed my Bible reading plan this year. I feel like sometimes the Pentateuch, um, to use the same word again, it can be laborious. Uh, but as I've read through the, the Pentateuch this year, I've really been encouraged and, and just taking note of different things. Deuteronomy chapter 17, it was interesting. Uh, God was giving instructions for how the king, a future king of Israel, ought to live. And God told the king, or t- told the nation of Israel, that once they got a king, that the king needed to write out the entire law by hand. And he needed to have it read to him or read it himself. And it's interesting, in Deuteronomy 17, it's laying that out. And I was thinking to myself, if the king of Israel were required to write out the entire law by hand and then repeat it to himself or have it read to himself, I think that we would do well to spend time in the word of God. At least read it. Uh, If not, meditate, memorize, write it down. And I think that we can learn from those uh, Old Testament characters and how much they spent time in the word of God, how much they delighted in the law of the Lord. And how much they were literally pleased with the law of the Lord. Recently, we've been trying to teach Allison some some Bible verses. And so we'll teach her verses like John 14, 6, Jesus saying that I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Uh, I've been trying to teach her Matthew 16, 18, I will build my church, uh, things like that. So just some classic verses from the New Testament. Uh, but Becca's been teaching her Galatians 5, 22, and 23 in her Sunday, Sunday class, uh, children's church class. And it's really interesting, uh, this week, uh, Galatians 5, and 23 is the, the verse, uh, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, uh, going through the list there. But this week, I was trying to teach Allison her full name. So she knows her name is Allison, but she didn't realize that her middle name was Joy and her last name was Pate. I really think that we hadn't t- taken time to tell her that was her name. And so we're trying to work on that. I was thinking it might be good if she ever gets lost to know what her name is. And so we're trying to work on teaching her Allison, Joy, Pate. And uh, it was really cute, though, because as I would say, say Allison, Joy, and I was trying to get her to say it, and then she would start saying, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness. (laughs) And we tried again, Allison, Joy, peace, long-suffering, and she would just start saying her verse. You know, and at first it was really funny, and then honestly it was convicting to me. And I realized that she knew that verse better than her own name. Wow, what a challenge for me as an adult to realize that my little two-year-old knows a Bible verse better than her own name. And I think it would be helpful for us to recognize that that is the priority, that that we as believers spend time in the Word of God from a young age, preferably, right? But all the way through until the day we see Christ, that we spend time in God's Word, that we are pleased with it, that we are delighting in it. Why? Because that's the way of the righteous, and that's the way that results in blessing. Recently, I was looking at some statistics about uh, evangelicals and how much time they spend in the Bible. And so evangelical is obviously a broad term, uh, not dealing with independent Baptists, but uh, everybody who might claim Christianity. Uh, And so uh, it's interesting, if you look at U.S. evangelicals, United States evangelicals, uh, that would claim to spend this much time in the Bible or in other things every day. So listen to these statistics. It says that of the people they interviewed, 66% of these evangelicals spent time on Facebook every day. 66% of these Christians spent time on Facebook every day. 39% of them spent time on YouTube every day. 39% spent time on YouTube every day. But only 32% spent time in the Bible 
every day. 32% spent time in the Bible every day. And as I was reading these statistics from this research group, I was thinking to myself, so two-thirds of the Christians in America are spending time on Facebook every day, but only one-third is spending time in God's Word every day. I think something's just kind of out of balance there. What we must recognize is if we want to be a righteous believer, if we want to have a way that is resulting in blessing, we have to spend time in God's Word. We must prioritize the Bible. We must be pleased with it. We must delight in the Word of God. And that's what we're finding in the characteristics of Psalm 1, that the way of the righteous is somebody who would spend time in God's Word and be pleased with the Word of God. It's interesting, in verse 2 it says, His delight is in the law of the Lord. And then the second half of the verse, And in his law doth he meditate day and night. The word meditate is a unique word. I'm sure you've heard the definition before, but it has the concept of, of moaning, of murmuring, of muttering, of speaking, or of pondering. So it doesn't even have to be verbal. It could even just be pondering in our thoughts, but it also could just have the concept of murmuring and muttering to ourselves. And so really think about it this way. As we go about our daily business, if there's a verse that's on our heart, we can just ponder that throughout the day. We can say it to ourselves if we're trying to memorize it, but we can just kind of chew on it a little bit. We can take a phrase and think, wow, that's an interesting phrase, and just ponder the the truth that is contained in each verse that we're meditating on. That's the concept of meditating. It, It really goes beyond memorizing, and it has the idea of just chewing on something, pondering it, murmuring over it, meditating on it. Uh, recently, I had a phone call with my, my brother. My brother's an, a missionary as well. And we were discussing the book of Philippians. We were both preaching on the book uh, while we were traveling in missions. And it was interesting, as we just talked about the book of Philippians, we were both so encouraged. I was telling him what I had been preaching in the book, and he was telling me what he had been preaching in the book and what we had studied. And we were kind of telling each other uh, the outlines that we had found in each chapter. And I realized at the end, end of the conversation that we had talked for 45 minutes just about the book of Philippians. We really didn't talk about anything else. And I don't have too many conversations like that that are that concentrated on Bible. But at the end of that conversation, I was really encouraged. Because what did we talk about? The Bible. Just for 45 minutes, we just talked about different facets of the book of Philippians and what we were preaching on that week. I think if we were to do that more, we would find ourselves very encouraged. If we were to meditate on God's word, we would find ourselves speaking truth to our heart when a fear arises. If we meditate on God's word, we would be calming those fears when we watch the news. We can recognize, no, God's word is powerful. God's word teaches me that I can trust him. It calms my fears. So God's word does have power, and this psalm right here is teaching us we must delight in it, and we must meditate on it. Day and night, as this verse says. So in the middle of the night, Meditation on the Bible can sustain us. In the deepest trial, the darkest trial, meditation on the Bible can sustain us through that. No matter what we're going through, God's word is available. We can grab it. We can meditate on it. We can read it, meditate it, or meditate on it, and spend time soaking up the word of God. So let's keep talking about the, the way of the righteous. We've talked about how this is somebody who, who does not spend time with ungodly people from verse 1 but rather he is pleased with the word of God. He's delighting to be in the word of God. And then it starts talking more specifically, because he's in the word of God, 
What does his life look like? Verse 3 explains this. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. And so it's, he's saying right here that because he is spending time in the word of God and delighting in the word of God, then he is planted. And he is planted in the word of God. And it's interesting, he's giving us a visual picture here of a, of a tree. And later on in verse 4, we're going to see that the way of the ungodly, they're like the chaff, which the wind driveth away. And so he's giving us these visual pictures, but for the righteous believer, the, the godly man, he's like a tree. He, he's planted, he's steadfast and secure and stable. So the tree here is visualizing a, a picture of stability, a picture of strength. And the reason why this man can have this stability is because he's planted in the word of God. His roots go deep into the word of God. So like I mentioned, in the, the darkest night or in the deepest trials of life, if our roots are firmly grounded in the word of God, then we can be sustained through that difficult time. It's interesting, we won't turn there, but in Ephesians chapter 4, it talks about how we can have stability and we don't have to be like the, uh, the wind driven with the, let me go, let's go turn there because I can't remember how it goes. Ephesians chapter 4, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 14. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 14 says that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slate of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie and wait to deceive. So it says we don't need to be like children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine. Ephesians 4.14 says that. Well, it's interesting because Ephesians 4 is in the context of the local church. And so it's saying that as we are grounded in our local church... We don't have to be carried about with every false doctrine because we're submitting ourselves to the teaching of the word of God found within the local church. So in a similar fashion, Psalm 1 is saying, as we're grounded in the word of God, we don't have to be like the chaff which the wind drives away, but we can be a tree that is planted, that is secure, and that is stable. And so it would do us well to spend time in the Bible, to spend time with our local church, to spend time growing in our relationship with Jesus so that we can have stability for unstable times, so that we can be anchored in the word of God. So if you think about it, when we watch the news and when we see things that are taking place in our world, current events have a tendency to discourage us. They have a tendency to make us feel disheartened, to make us feel unstable. But when we're grounded in the word of God and we're trusting him, knowing that God is sovereign, and he knows what's happening, and he has a plan, and he is working everything out for our good and for his glory, then we can trust him. But we have to be grounded. We have to be stable, spending time in the Bible, spending time with our local church, soaking up the preaching from, from God's word, spending time maturing and growing in our relationship with Jesus Christ. And when we do that, we can be anchored. We can be planted, like this verse is saying. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. And because he's planted, it goes on, that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. And so because he's planted, now he is producing fruit. That's really the goal of each one of us as believers. Just a few weeks ago, I believe, uh, Pastor Capel preached on John 15, talking about abiding in the vine. And as we abide in the vine, 
What's the goal? To produce fruit. But not just fruit, but more fruit, and then much fruit. But then Jesus makes it clear. He says, without me, ye can do nothing. So it's impossible to bear this fruit without being connected to the vine, to Jesus Christ. And when we are abiding and resting and growing in our relationship with Jesus Christ, then we can produce this kind of fruit. That's what Psalm 1 is talking about. He's saying that when we are delighting in the law of the Lord, then we can be planted and stable, and then we can be bringing forth fruit in a season. But not just producing fruit. Verse 3 concludes, His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. So we are planted in the word of God, and then we are producing fruit, and then we are prospering in our relationship with Christ. Turn over to Joshua chapter 1. Joshua chapter 1 and verse 8. Similar wording to the beginning of Psalm 1. It says this book of the law. We were talking about the the law and having delight in the law in Psalm 1. So Joshua 1 and verse 8 says, This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night. Very similar wording to Psalm 1. That thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. And get this right here. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. We're not talking about a secular type of prosperity, wealth, health, and prosperity. No, that's not what this is talking about. This is talking about spiritual success, and that as we are spending time in the Word of God, as we are meditating on the Word of God, then we are planted, we're anchored, we're grounded, and then we begin to produce fruit. And as we produce fruit, then we begin to prosper and have spiritual success. Now, remember, none of this success is even possible without being connected to the vine, being connected to Jesus Christ. And so we must have that relationship with Jesus Christ in order to be able to produce this kind of fruit, in order to be able to have a prosperous life. And so as we look through Psalm 1, these first few verses, we can see the way of the righteous explained. And really, if we look at the way of the righteous, it's ultimately a picture of Christ. And it's pointing us to Christ and how as a man follows Christ, he can be blessed just like this man in Psalm 1. So as we follow Christ in our relationship with him, as we abide in him, then we can have this kind of blessing, producing this kind of fruit, fruit, prospering and being grounded and planted in our walk with him. So... Psalm 1 so far has laid out the way of the righteous. Remember, that's the first character, the first path that leads to this side of the spiritual continental divide. But then now the second character is going to follow a different path, and it's going to end up on a different side of the continental divide spiritually. So let's look at verse 4, the way of the ungodly. We've seen the way of the righteous. Now let's see the way of the ungodly. The ungodly are not so. But are, the, but are like the chaff which the wind driveth away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. Let's just look at a few words to describe the, uh, the way of the ungodly. First of all, they are ungodly. They are ungodly. This just literally means they are wicked. Wicked people. That's what verse 4 talks about. The ungodly are, are not so. Well, that's interesting. What is it contrasting? Well, it's contrasting how the way of the righteous was a person who loved God's word and spent time in God's word. 
So that means that the way of the ungodly is not like that. So rather than being pleased with the word of God and delighting in the word of God, like the righteous were, the ungodly rather are uninterested in the word of God. They have no delight for the word whatsoever. So they're ungodly, they're uninterested in the word of God, and then they're also unstable. They're unstable. Verse 4 talks about this. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind driveth away. Well, I think we know what chaff is, but uh, just by way of illustration, a few, I guess it was over a year ago now, we were in Iowa for harvest season, and Katie's brother John Mark is a farmer, and so I was riding with him in the tractor as he was bringing in the harvest one day. It was just a, a fun experience. But as we were, we were going to the, the grain bin, it was interesting as he's uh, emptying the, the corn into the grain bin to watch the corn go in, but also to watch all this chaff just floating in the air. And it's amazing to, to think about all this waste, this worthless chaff that's just floating away. It's talking about right here in verse 4, which the wind driveth away. And I just immediately thought of this verse right here, thinking about the, the chaff which the wind driveth away. And just thinking to myself how, how worthless it is and how wasteful it is, uh, but there's, there's no, no worth to it. And so really it's describing the ungodly people, the way of the ungodly they're unstable. The wind can just drive them away. There's no grounding. There's no stability. There's no security. Remember, this is in contrast to the way of the righteous. Because the way of the righteous, they're people that are grounded in God's word and stabilized because they're spending time deep in their walk with God, growing in their relationship with Jesus Christ. But the ungodly are not like that. They are unstable. And so really, if we think about it this way, while the Bible is offering us stability, the way of this world, the, the wisdom of this world, is really just foolishness. And really, verse 1 describes that, talking about sitting in the seat of the scornful, or standing in the way of sinners, or walking in the counsel of the ungodly. That's just foolishness. It's wicked. There are sinners there. These scornful people are, are offering instability, whereas the word of God offers stability. And so the way of the ungodly, they are obviously ungodly. They are uninterested in the word of God. They're unstable. And then they're unclean. They're unclean. Verse 5 says, Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. And so it's interesting. Because of their sin, they cannot stand in the judgment day. Their sin brings them into this judgment. Their sin causes them to be cut off from the congregation of the righteous, as verse 5 talks about. And so another description of them is they're unclean. Because of their sin, they cannot have any fellowship with the righteous, and their sin brings them into judgment. So think about these two contrasting paths. I know which path I want to be on. It's very, very obvious as I read through Psalm 1. There's no way I would want to choose the way of the ungodly. No, the way of the righteous is the way to choose. As we look through the, the way of the righteous, it's, it's amazing to, to think about this. The way of the, of the righteous, they are uh, people that are in the place of blessing. We see that in verse 1. Uh, we see that they have positioned themselves appropriately. They have stayed away from all of the ungodly influences. We see that they are pleased with the word of God. They're delighting in God's word. We see that they're planted in the word of God, and then they're producing fruit because of that, and then they're prospering. That's a path I want to choose, because the, the path of the righteous leads straight to God's blessing. Whereas the path of the ungodly, these are people that are ungodly, 
These are people that are uninterested in the word of God. These are people that are unstable in their life. And then these are people that are unclean. And therefore, they're headed straight for God's judgment. In fact, verse 6 says, For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. Well, it's very clear to me which, which path I want to choose. But I think it's helpful for us to outline it and look through these two different paths and to be able to see the way of the righteous is the way of blessing, whereas the way of the ungodly is the way of judgment. So we've seen a contrast in their ways or or their paths, but then secondly, let's see a contrast in their destinies. A contrast in their destinies. We kind of already touched on it a little bit, but I think it'd be helpful for us to explain it just a little bit more. A contrast in their destinies. First of all, let's look at verse 5 and talk about the ungodly. It says, Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. And so if you think about this for a moment, apparently the ungodly people, because of their sin, are not able to stand in the judgment day. Now, what is this really talking about? If you think about the immediate context, uh, when this psalm was written, it would have been in the context of the Hebrew judicial system of their day. And so if you remember, the nation of Israel was a theocracy where God was their king, and they were living under the Mosaic law. That was their constitution, so to speak. They were living under God's law. God was their king. And so if you think about it this way, really, in the immediate context, when the psalmist wrote this, uh, he could have had this in mind, where he was thinking about the Hebrew judicial system, and he was thinking about people who break God's law, they cannot stand in judgment. Now, what does the word stand mean there? It doesn't mean they're going to not be able to literally stand, but rather they will not be able to hold their own. That's what that word means. They will not be able to maintain their cause or they will not be acquitted. So they will not be able to hold their own. So they will come to that judgment, whether it's the Hebrew judicial system or whether it's all the way thinking about God being their judge one day at the great white throne judgment. Either way, they will not be able to hold their own. They will not stand and the judgment day. So that's the destiny of the ungodly. And not only are they not able to stand in the judgment, but the second half of verse 5 says, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. Kind of a synonymous thought here. Uh, What this second half is saying is that the ungodly will not be able to stand in the congregation of the righteous. So again, let's think about the immediate context. As the psalmist is penning this, he could be thinking about the, uh, the worship service of the nation of Israel and how they come together as an assembly and worship. And so if one were to break God's law, he would be cut off from that assembly. He would not be able to worship and partake of that assembling together. And so in the immediate context, that might be what it's talking about, or perhaps in the future, again, God's judgment, or he's not able to stand when all the believers will stand at the judgment seat of Christ. Because of his sin. And so we can think about this and we can recognize whether it's in the immediate context or whether it's in a long-term context. The way of the ungodly has a very difficult destiny. Because they're not able to stand in the judgment day. And they're not able to fellowship in the congregation of the righteous. And so we can recognize from verse 6. It says, for the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous. But the way of the ungodly shall perish. So by implication, if he knows the way of the righteous then he also knows the way of the ungodly. And so God knows their true heart. 
And their ultimate destiny is perishing, as verse 6 says. And judgment will follow that path. But rather, what's the destiny for the godly people or the righteous people? Well, they will be able to stand in that judgment day because of the way they've lived and because of their faith in Christ. But then also, they will be able to stand in the congregation of the righteous. So whether it's in the the immediate context, you can think they won't have to even appear before a Hebrew judicial uh, system because they have never broken God's law in that way. Or they will never have to be cut off from the congregation of the righteous because they've never broken God's law in that way. And so the righteous will be able to stand in the judgment day. The righteous will be able to stand in the congregation of the righteous. And again, the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous. God knows their true heart. And because of their behavior, they will be able to see God's blessing. Because of their love for the Bible, they will be able to see God's blessing on their life. So when you look at this psalm as a whole... We could look at it describing the way of a believer versus the way of an unbeliever. And that could be what this psalm is describing. But I also believe as we are sitting here as believers that we can apply it to our life. And we can see two different paths that we could take in our life. And we can see, well, we could follow the the way of the righteous or we could follow the way of the ungodly. And so as we sit here as believers and we're trying to apply this psalm to our life even this evening, I think it's helpful for us to understand we each have really a a choice to make in our daily lives of whether we're going to follow the way of the righteous by having a love for God's word or whether we're going to follow the way of the ungodly by despising God's word and not being interested in God's word. I want to read you a quote from a commentary I was reading today. This is describing Psalm 1. So listen, it's a kind of a little bit longer paragraph uh, describing this psalm. In a sustained contrast, Psalm 1 reminds us that in the end, There are only two ways to live. And whatever else happens in our lives today, the crucial bottom line question is, which of the two ways described in this psalm will we embrace? Beneath the never-ending list of to-dos clamoring for our attention lies the fundamental choice to receive instruction and influence, either from God or from fools. Will we listen to the voice of life or to the voices of death? Will we breathe in God's life-giving instruction, sinking deep roots, or will we breathe in the empty instruction of those who will not stand in the judgment? Will the trials still to come in our lives prove us to be deep-rooted trees, incapable of being blown over? Or will they show us to be chaff, blown away by the slightest breeze? Nothing can compare with the blessedness, the fruitfulness, the flourishing, the prospering, the delightfulness of a life saturated with the word of God. As I read that, I felt like it summarized the whole chapter very well. Uh, Just to think about these two paths that we can follow every day. And so as believers, we really have a choice every morning as we wake up, as we decide whether we're going to delight in God's word, and whether we're going to receive instruction from God's word and and wisdom from God, or rather we're maybe going to be disinterested in that and, and begin to receive instruction from fools No, it's not going to happen so abruptly like verse 1 talks about. It's going to happen progressively where it says we are walking in the counsel of the ungodly and then standing in the way of sinners and then sitting in the seat of the scornful. And so we have to be on guard. We have to make sure that we're constantly listening to the word of God and being grounded in the word of God so that we can receive his wisdom for every single day. 
rather than receiving the wisdom from this world and the instruction from this world, which is simply foolishness. I think it's important for us to to look back at verse 2 and just to think about this. The way of the righteous, what summarizes them? It is that they have a delight in the law of the Lord. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. So we need to ask ourselves, what is my delight? And what do I take pleasure? What's my priority? So every single day as I live my life, uh, how am I living my life? And do I desire God's blessing? Because if I do, which I think we all do, then we should choose to follow the Bible. We should choose to receive instruction from the Bible. Now, I mentioned this earlier, but I think it's, it's good repeating uh, just because of how crucial it is. And that is that the true blessedness or true fulfillment in life is really only found in the person of Jesus Christ. 1 John chapter 1, verse 4, talks a little bit about that. It says that our joy can be full. It can be fulfilled. We can have a satisfied life. And in the context of 1 John 1, it's talking about in Jesus Christ. He's the only one that can truly satisfy us. So as we delight in our relationship with Christ, and as we spend time in the Word of God, then we can find true blessedness, like verse 1 talks about. True fulfillment, true joy that only comes from Jesus Christ. And so I mentioned the title of the message was The Spiritual Continental Divide. You think about those two raindrops going two opposite directions. But think about that in life. We could see two men that start out very close to each other with the same potential in life, but each man is going to choose a separate path. So one man could choose a a path of of godliness and a path of God's blessing by delighting in the word of God, whereas another one could choose the path of the ungodly and therefore a path of God's judgment. And so each one of us really has that choice to make. Which path will we choose? Well, I think all of us want the way of the godly, the way of the righteous. We we want that path. That's the, the path that each one of us wants for our lives But I would just want to remind us that as we wake up tomorrow morning, we have to make that choice. Will we choose to delight in the law of the Lord? Will we choose to to pull out God's word and not just read it, but be pleased with it, to delight in it, to love it? And then as verse 2 says, to meditate on it day and night. So when we're facing difficult situations in life, we can go back to the word of God. We can have stability in the word of God. So no matter what we're going through in life, we can recognize the word of God provides the answers. The word of God provides the stability. It's everything that I need right here. It is everything that I need for life and for godliness. So the main thought of this message is this. We must choose the Bible every day in order to experience God's blessing. We must choose the Bible every day in order to experience God's blessing And I think as we look at Psalm 1, we see the alternative. None of us want that. None of us want to follow the way of the ungodly. We we all want the way of the righteous. And so I think it's helpful for us to recognize that as we spend time in the Word of God, as we meditate on the Word of God, then we can experience God's blessing in our life. Now, we might not be able to see that blessing right away. It's not necessarily going to be an easy life, but it's going to be the best life possible. The best life possible is is the life that is saturated in the word of God and a life that is satisfied in Jesus Christ. As we spend time getting to know Christ and abiding in the vine, spending time in the word, it's not going to necessarily alleviate the trials in our life, 
but we're going to have a blessed life, a spiritually blessed life, and ultimately a fulfilled life, a satisfied life, because we're spending time in the Word of God. A couple of weeks ago, John Lucek was preaching on prayer. So tonight, we're kind of just preaching on the Bible, just spending time in the Bible. And I think it's helpful for us to go back to these basics, at least it's helpful for me. As John was preaching on, on prayer, and as we're hearing about soul winning on Sunday, hearing about the Word of God tonight, these are really core elements, but for me, it's helpful because it helps me and reminds me to go back to the basics, to delight in God's Word, to spend time in prayer, to seek out lost souls and witness to them. All of these things are core elements of the Christian life, but I have to be reminded of them regularly because I forget or I get distracted. But every day, we can choose the Bible, delight in the Bible. So tomorrow morning, when you wake up, pull out God's Word, spend time in it, delight in it, and when we choose the Bible, we will be able to experience God's blessing in our life. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Psalm 1, and thank you for the instruction that it gives us. Uh, thank you for how it, it teaches us how we can live a life of blessing by spending time in your word. Lord, thank you for giving us your word. Thank you for helping us to know you through your word. And I pray that every day as we wake up, we would choose to spend time in your word and delight in your word and grow in our relationship with you. Lord, thank you for giving us this privilege. And I ask that you would help us this year as a church that each one of us individually would grow closer to you than we ever have before. That we'd have a walk with you that is more sincere, more genuine than we ever have before, just because we're spending more quality time in your word. Lord, thank you for this church, and thank you for the opportunity we have to pray right now. In Jesus' name.